0: I've been witness to such beautiful care in so many different flavours and loved every, every part of it.
1: Welcome to Compassion, Courage, Consolation. Voices for St Vincent's during COVID-19. In this podcast, we're talking to people who love St Vincent's, love our staff and love the service we provide in health and aged care. We're doing this to support our compassion for one another and those we serve, to bolster our courage in this extraordinary time, ...and to provide consolation amidst the challenges we're facing. And whilst prepared for St Vincent's, we're sharing this series with anyone who might find it helpful. So if you're joining us from outside of our services, consider yourself part of the family. You're very welcome indeed. My name is Dan Fleming, I lead ethics and formation for St Vincent's... ...and in this episode, it's a particular privilege to welcome a dear friend and colleague, Julie Wayne, to the podcast... Julie's Mission Integration Manager at St Vincent's Private Hospitals in Melbourne and was led to this role through a long history of nursing at St Vincent's. Julie's returning to her role in the month of May during the COVID-19 pandemic, following several months of illness and recovery, throughout which she experienced St Vincent's not as a staff member and leader, but as a patient, something we're going to talk about during the episode. Julie, it's wonderful to have you here, welcome.
0: Thanks, Dan. It's such a treat that you've invited me to this podcast.
1: Oh, I can't wait. I can't wait to hear what you have to to share with us all, Julie. And welcome back as well. Julie, you're known to many around the St Vincent's group for your role as Mission Integration Manager at St Vincent Private Hospitals, Melbourne, as I mentioned in the intro. And as I also noted there, you found yourself as a patient in one of our services earlier this year. Could you tell us a bit about how that, that happened, how that came about?
0: Uh, sure, Dan. On Christmas Eve last year, just gone, I was out busy shopping, preparing to cook, preparing to finish wrapping presents, etc., for the big Christmas Day and Boxing Day with family. And I was out shopping and felt terrible, felt terrible and kept plodding along. Finally got home with all the shopping, all the groceries, and thought, I feel dreadful. I need to be seen by someone. Um, And so I got myself a cab and went to St Vincent's, to the emergency department, and from there on I was put into a bed and I became a patient, nothing, not the Christmas that I was expecting. So on Christmas Day for Christmas lunch, there was a beautiful meal provided by the hospital, but I had a um, a CT scan for lunch (laughs) and for Christmas dinner I had a lumbar puncture. So they were certainly not the Christmases I was planning but I was a patient in the bed and most people didn't know me there and that was lovely because I was treated so beautifully by people that didn't know me and treated so carefully so with such kind kindness, compassion and such joy. It was really a treat to be a patient in the bed um, on such what really would be otherwise not the best day of the year to be in hospital. I had a sudden onset illness and a very slow recovery. So I'm in the middle of my recovery and each day I improve a tad.
1: Wow, Julie. So it was a, a sudden onset, as you say, and you found yourself in uh, celebrating the Feast of the Incarnation, Christmas Day, um, feeling the mission incarnated through the very people who were caring for you.
0: Yes. Um, I was just a, the, 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 the most extraordinary thing that I've come away with, um, I, as you may know, as I was a theatre nurse, so I spent a lot of years, many years, working with surgeons and anaesthetists, and they're a bright and bold bunch of people, but I hadn't had much to do with physicians. And I'm just astounded and feel so blessed that the people that looked after me, the medical doctors looked at looking after me, were so gentle and so kind. Just every time they approached me, it was kindness, and I thought... These people are just handpicked for their role so beautifully and I was so, so privileged to be a part of the care that they were giving every day without fail. It was joy and it was gentleness and it was kindness.
1: How amazing. And Julie, on that background in nursing, what was it like for you being the recipient of care instead of the provider?
0: Well, um, being an old nurse, it was lovely to see young and fresh new nurses doing beautiful work and really inspired modern nursing. And it was also lovely to see not so young nurses, nurses my age, doing the old fashioned lovely caring that, that I would have given and that I was trained for. So it was really lovely seeing different generations of care, the expertise and experience And the fresh enthusiasm all of the ease for what you see in nursing um it was really um very very good and it was beautiful watching in a teaching hospital it was beautiful watching senior people showing the way and hand-holding um to junior people about how to do things best and while you're listening to somebody learning you actually hear not so much the lesson but the rationale for the lesson so well, on Christmas Eve, I had um, an attempt at attempted a procedure that failed and the doctor giving the doing the procedure was teaching someone more junior and they actually failed in, in doing it. It wasn't their fault. It was probably my anatomy. But they um, were so apologetic that they couldn't do it and I was sort of wanting to apologise that actually, no, it's probably my body. It's not you or your ability. But listening to the, the teacher teach the learner, um, why you say things? Why you do things? That was a real privilege to be a part of that, and I was always listening because they, medical, you know, in the medical field you get told things, but when you hear somebody learning, you actually hear um, a different perspective. You hear the side, the sidebar of what's being taught and what's being explained, and that was really lovely. And I was at many, at many. Um, Many interactions, there was a student learner and a a wise teacher. That was a really lovely privilege.
1: Beautiful. And I think that's a remarkable insight, isn't it, to teaching itself. Like it's the proximity to the learner and that relationship is so beautiful as well but also uh, the learner and the teacher are vulnerable and you're vulnerable in that moment and you're all kind of sharing this sacred space um yes. with with a view to uh, stimulating healing what a remarkable thing
0: mm-hmm.
1: julie what did your experience teach you about St. Vincent's that you didn't already know
0: Oh, well, I think, I I mean, you know, leading mission in our hospital, compassion is something that I love to drive, I love to note, I love to acknowledge, but actually feeling the compassion given by some of the doctors was beautiful. Christmas Eve, the most beautiful young doctor looked after me. He was in and out of my cubicle six or eight times and every time he came in, he had the most beautiful manners always asked permission for what he was wanting to do or ask or or see and he was just warm and generous and at the end of the night then the specialist finally came in and I got diagnosed and then I didn't you know I think they said go you know try and get some sleep then about I don't know whether it was 12 or 1 but he came back this lovely junior doctor not junior but younger doctor came back and he said I just want to say happy Christmas And I'm really sorry that you're so sick, but I'll be thinking of you and I'll say a prayer and i thought, oh, how beautiful it was. of still makes me think of how beautiful that compassion was. Um, That's one, one beautiful one. And then on New Year's Eve, I didn't see that doctor again. New Year's Eve, I was in the ward, up on the 10th floor, the most beautiful close view of the city, and I thought, you beauty, I'll be able to see the fireworks. Imagining half of the patients would be there in this empty room looking at the fireworks. To my shock only, I was the only patient that set my phone alarm to get up to watch it. And so I got there about 10 to 12 and walked into this empty, it was an empty ward, and I sat down, grabbed a chair because I couldn't stand, and grabbed the chair and um, sat down and thought, I'll just enjoy these fireworks, enjoy the new year, 2020 is going to be better than the end of 2019. And about a minute to 12 about 30 staff came from theatres and ed and they oh they they acknowledged that i was there but i didn't know any of them and everyone was just quietly enjoying it loving these beautiful fireworks it was magnificent the fireworks display and i thought this is just a beautiful way to see the year out bring the new year in and at the end of it the lights were out in the rooms because to get the most out of the fireworks And at the end of it this person tapped me on the shoulder and said, Julie, it's Julie, how are you? And it was the same doctor from Christmas Eve oh, wow. said, I've been thinking about you all week. I haven't been at work. I've just come back and I was going to look you up. How good to see you. Got this beautiful pre-COVID big hug, happy new year, hope you get well. It was the most beautiful wow. thing. It was meant, obviously meant to happen. He didn't know that I was still in or that I was up and well enough to get to these beautiful fireworks. So that was really lovely. The second beautiful story of compassion from a doctor was my specialist. Every day he was in, often twice a day. This was Christmas Day, Boxing Day, all the public holidays. And about day five, he said, now you know, we're going through all the detail every day, and he said, is there anything else I need to know or you want to tell me? It was just a really lovely beside sort of question. And I said, yes. And I'd been in a a four-bed ward, beautiful ward, modern, everything was there. But I was in a ward by the door, not by the window. And because I was the only female in the ward, the nurses and everybody kept the screens closed around me um, for a bit of privacy. And so everybody could hear everybody's happenings. You could hear conversations. You could hear doctors' diagnoses, nurses' care. But you couldn't see people. So for most of it, until I was a bit more mobile, I couldn't see anybody. And so I said to this doctor, I said, come here. And I beckoned him down to the pillow and I said, look at my view. I had these four beige curtains. All I could see was beige curtains. I said, I haven't seen sunshine or daylight for five days. And he said, I'm gonna fix that. He went out, he came back with the nurse in a wheelchair, and they took me out to this sunroom. It was the first sun I'd seen or daylight that I'd seen for, you know, since I came in. That was heavenly. So it just, I thought, you know, it takes me to say it I'm missing daylight because I do like sunshine and daylight and for him to say I can fix that he could have just said yeah well you know tough you're in hospital get well but he just said I'll fix it and he did and it was beautiful so that from that moment on I was able to be in the sunroom quite a bit of the day and see sunsets and sunrises so that was just to me a beautiful non-medical absolutely pastoral care of me by a fairly important and busy person was lovely
1: and doesn't it show that the the healing relationship is so much more than looking after the body? Uh, as Absolutely. you said there, taking a bit of time, listening carefully and doing simple things to open up the possibility of of you experiencing the beauty outside and, and mm-hmm. those who know you know very well how much you love beauty. You love seeing yes. the sunsets you love. Um, yes. You're an artist, so you love painting them as well. So for him to to note that and then to be able to respond is just wonderful.
0: Yes. The other thing, about, to me that was compassion, that consolation, I have a beautiful story of consolation on Christmas Day. We're all, the, the four patients in the ward were really pretty sick, so we weren't annoying. No one was annoying anybody. No one was in the way. And the nurses, some patients had their own nurse. They were quite sick. And so there was it was quite a busy ward. But um, the nurse that was looking after the room was absolutely gorgeous girl, and she was really charming to these, especially these two patients who would obviously been in a long time. I didn't know their detail. I uh, picked up a bit from being a nurse, but they were pretty sick. And she had a lovely day. One of them who hadn't been out of bed for days and days and days, I gathered, she took him to the shower and as she said and he said she nearly killed him because he really wasn't up for it but he just loved having a shower and a shave and being clean on Christmas Day. And so he was very appreciative and that had a lot of fun and I was really a witness to it rather than participating because I was new and no one knew me and I was just quietly just taking it all in and having a lot of tests that day, Christmas Day. But the next morning, so she was, she was gorgeous, and the next morning about quarter to seven, Boxing Day, she came in and named said hello to everybody and named the two long-term men by name and said, I'm so sorry, I'm not in here today. And it wasn't about her ego. She said, but, you know, we had so much fun yesterday. I want to come back and I'll have a cup of tea with you later. And to her word, she did. She came back in her break and had an afternoon tea with both of them, which I thought, how beautiful is that? She could have gone off to the coffee shop. She could have gone and done whatever, you know, you do in break time. But she came and sat with these beautiful men who were really, really sick and really struggling. So to me, that was just a beautiful consolation. Mm, that's extraordinary. And the yeah, the third part to the story of this in this ward was um, courage. One particular day, one of these very sick gentlemen had a very, very um, difficult conversation with his, I think it was his wife, I don't know, it was a woman, and it got, it's like, you know, when you're watching a couple having an argument, you don't want to listen, you don't want to be there, but you're you witness to it and you can't get away from it. So we're all in our beds. And this um, patient's wife was really having a go at the patient, really blaming him for everything that had gone wrong in his illness, blaming him for all of his outcomes, blaming him. Just really, she'd obviously had enough and he was he was a gentle soul. He couldn't, didn't fight back and couldn't fight back. But she got more and more aggressive. She got really loud and really aggro. And we're all, we all couldn't see each other. We all, could, we all went quiet and we felt really uncomfortable and luckily for us, there was a doctor in with the other sick gentleman, and she just pulled back the curtains. I couldn't see it, but I heard it and said, Madam, this is not acceptable. You cannot do this to our patients. And your, I don't think she said husband, but this man does not need you doing this to him. You have to leave. And she got narkier and narkier and louder. And eventually, you know, I think probably she wasn't far off getting a code black call, but she eventually went and then the doctor said to the man who'd been harassed, that's terrible, you, you're too sick to be going, putting, getting put through this, do you want me to get her banned? And he said, no, she won't come back. She said, she said her bit, she won't return. And, he did, and she didn't return in the, the days I was there. But I just thought, what courage. We all were, you know, you don't want to look, you don't want to listen, but you're exposed to it. That doctor just had heard one too many bits of abuse and just said, that's not on, you've got to leave he's too sick to put up with this and so I thought wow thank goodness there was someone in the room well enough to exercise courage I probably would have done the same had I not been unwell but in the bed you're pretty vulnerable lying there wanting to stand up and you know speak up so I don't know which doctor it was because the curtains around I never saw her but brave girl and she did it well
1: yeah and and there there are two parts to the courage aren't there there's the courage yeah. to speak up but also I mean there're probably three parts actually there's the courage to speak up the courage to stay behind and check in with him but also you know you and I both know what the doctor's schedules are like the courage yes. to kind of even you know take a bit of extra time and energy midst uh, often a very very significant workload um Rather than, as you suggested, just kind of say, okay, it's too much for today, I'm going to keep going. It's again this remarkable commitment to care, isn't it?
0: Mm the other the other part to this um this part of the discussion dan was um as a staff member of cement in south australia i I kind of had a chat with each of the staff people as they came to Mm -hmm. me so the man that mopped the floor every day he did it with such pride and such joy and he would finish it took him forever to do this room look beautiful and he would look back almost as if to look at the shine and go. That's my work. So I said to him one day, I said, do you love your job? And he said, I love working here. I love everything about this job. And he said, look at this floor. Isn't it beautiful? I thought, oh, how beautiful is it that the man that cleans the floor has as much pride in his work as you and I have in ours, Dan. But the meal menu person that came each day to make sure there was a choice for my special menu, my special choices, the nurses, the doctors I asked, and the physios, the pharmacists, the food delivery, the pastoral carers. Every one of them I said, do you love your job? And it was almost like they were trained to say it. They all said, I love my job. So that was real joy to experience people that love their work. I thought that perhaps only you and I love our jobs, Dan, but <laughs> to hear that everyone there loved their job, it was just beautiful. And that I is thought,
1: beautiful.
0: Oh, I'm in the hands of people that are happy to be here. These were people working on public holidays, New Year's Eve, all those days where you want to be at home partying. And they're all at work loving what they do.
1: That's that's just what a wonderful affirmation, isn't it? And yeah. and uh, of course would have an enormous impact on how you as the patient feels, how the other patient feels, and everyone. Every, everything because these are people who are not just there because they have to be, they're there because they love it. What a, what mm. a great extension of, of the mission. Julie, during your recovery and in, in your work as a mission leader, what is it that consoles you, gives you courage and supports your compassion?
0: Well, I think um, I was consoled by the constancy of care. Now, that was hospital staff. But it will also my friends and family, of course. So I think what I learned that the people that gave me the text every day or someone, I had a dear friend who we both know and love that every evening texted me and wished me a good night's sleep. And I thought, wow. oh, it was just so beautiful. And I wasn't waiting for it, but it came and I went, oh, isn't that beautiful? And people that dropped in books, people dropped in a flower from their garden, people dropped in my favourite drink or a favourite treat. Um just, just that constancy of care. I was consoled by that constancy of care. It was beautiful. And the courage. So I, I learned courage. Um, I got an insight into disability, not being able to walk. So how people respond to a well-looking person. I looked well. A well-looking person, relatively young, with a walking stick and how people responded to that. And it was sometimes a look of pity, but mostly it was a good on you, keep 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 going, look. I could part the waters on a tram when I was first learning to be mobile and got on the tram, a youngish-looking, I say, I say youngish, a youngish-looking person with a walking stick, I could part, I could get everybody up off every seat to get a seat on the tram. So that really showed to me um, my courage to do it because I could have just sensed too hard, too dangerous, I don't want to do it, and my sister would have driven me everywhere. But, in fact, I wanted to be independent, and that took a bit of my courage to get out there terrified that I'd trip on the street or trip crossing the road Um, so I I learned a bit of courage there um that didn't get people pitying me which is lovely I thought it was more an encouraging encouraging nod or a barrack um, or curiosity people wanting to know why you know if you had a stroke what why 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 have you got a walking stick if you had an accident if you had your joint replaced so people were quite curious about that sort of thing Um, and I think compassion also and I said I was a recipient of non-stop compassion but I also had to tilt myself a bit I was on a bit of a tilt because people many people friends staff colleagues many people their first response was oh my gosh what a shock what a terrible shock you must have been so shocked now, shock wasn't something that ever came to me. I was I was sort of enveloped in people's love and care, so I felt very cared and safe. I didn't feel shocked. I knew that what I got I would eventually get better from, but I was felt myself having to then care for people and look to them to say, no, it's not a shock. You're, you're shocked, but it's actually okay. I will get better. So I was kind of surrounded by beautiful people, but I was reacting and needing to care for them as well as they wanting to care for me. That was um, a really interesting thing that I didn't think I'd have to do, and I think people in grief say that that they sometimes have to look after the people who are trying to care for them, and it's it's not a it's not to me grief is different. This was um, the shock factor, and I I wasn't in shock. I was um, took it all on board uh, very early on. One of the um, physiotherapists said to me. You need to take two steps forward, and every two steps forward, one you take, one back, because your progress will be very slow. You'll get there in the end, but it'd be very slow. And those wise words within a few days, I thought I have to embrace patience. Patience isn't something that I'm actually have been good at, and I've really embraced it well. I haven't been hankering to do more than I could, or hankering to do a bit of work, or I was able to let go. And that was a really important part of being a good patient and a well patient to get well. Was to have patience, and I think that's why patients are called patients. You know, I, I used to joke about it, but you become a patient because you need to be patient, and that's where I was, and I still am there in that slow rehab part of my recovery.
1: Yeah, wow, what a rich, rich response, Julie. And I think that you, you've you've touched on so many brilliant things there. But one is that. The com- compassion is always a two-way street, isn't it? Just like yes. the healthcare professional patient relationship. Uh, it's never just one person pouring care onto another. Um, it's, it's always something that is, um, yeah, dialogical, goes back and forth. And the courageousness of just taking the few steps that are possible really comes through for me. And I just loved your use of that word constancy. Um, that that consolation comes through not a piece of compassion here and maybe a little bit over there and a little bit over there, but the constancy of it that you experienced among those caring for you and those close to you. That speaks volumes, doesn't it? Because it it reminds us that in trying to um, continue our mission, we need to be constant in it, not only in the kind of extreme times, but all the time and that's really what makes it come alive
0: Mm. Dan the thing that was I would like to say it's a parallel to when I was a teenager my mum died and when mum died we got lots and lots of beautiful sympathy cards and I as a teenager I read them some of them were from friends of mine or friends of mine's parents who didn't know mum or dad but they were sending them to dad and myself and my family Uh, beautiful sympathy cards and at that time I thought I'm never ever going to hesitate to send a sympathy card to someone because it's so lovely even though the you know the connection is not about mum it was about helping and supporting us and on that from that day on I always send a sympathy card I think it's just a really lovely thing to do and also a get well card and all of the beautiful love and good wishes that I got it's made me realise just that five minutes to write a card or the two minutes to pop in. A, 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 the best visitor in a hospital is a short visit. A five-minute visit is the most beautiful tonic. Doesn't You don't need to stay for an hour. Five minutes is beautiful. And don't hesitate. The little trickle of that distant love or the instant love is just so beautiful. It's such a tonic to get well, to know that your team are barracking for you. And so don't ever be afraid to send a text or to make a quick call or pop in if you're allowed to to visit a sick person because when you're sick you're kind of lying there flat out not quite sure when it's all going to end and to see some of your real life people and real life work mates and real life extended family it's so lovely to have that um, as a constancy as well
1: what a wonderful encouragement and julie i always end with the same question on the podcast and i'd love to put it to you now and I'm especially interested in in your answer given your recent experience. What would you like to say to all of our staff across St Vincent's at this time?
0: Look, two things I'd like to say. The first thing is that I know that compassion comes in many colors. It's a colorful thing and it comes in all shapes and sizes. So don't think that you've got to fit the mold and do it the way that you know you think the, text, the textbook prescripts it. Do it the way you do it. I was I was recipient, I reckon, of probably 400 people in my time a month in hospital. I reckon I was a recipient of four or 500 people doing it differently and every single one of them touched my heart and gave me good care. Um, so really, you know, we know that compassion is an act of love. Well, I was fully loved in the palm of St Vincent's hands for that month. And then I went, to tally, uh, t- sorry, I went to outpatient rehab and that went on for about uh, – Oh, about two months or so face to face that was terrific and the physios were brilliant they brought me back to really good function um, and then COVID started and so the physio sessions that were twice or three times weekly went to telehealth me I'm a bit of a cynic and I thought well, what would be the point of having a hands-on physio on the telephone so I was a bit dubious But within 10 minutes of the first call, and I did it then twice a week, I set up my phone on the bookshelf at home and then did all of the exercises and drills that the physios taught me. And they taught me new ones over the phone. It was as good as, in fact, it was better because I didn't have to get up, go out, get on the tram or get a lift to rehab. I was actually just doing it at home. Um, So it was actually uh, COVID's byproduct of really extending great telehealth, I think is a great thing. Um, my GP's doing the same thing, telehealth, and it's it's really lovely. and it's kind of nice having a different relationship with the carers as well as face-to-face where you're the patient, they're the carer. Now it's a telephone conversation, which to me is a bit more equal um, and I'm quite enjoying that. Um, but, yeah, I think really it's about look after each other, keep doing it. I've been witness to such beautiful care in so many different flavours and loved every every part of it.
1: Julie Wayne, it's wonderful to have you back and it's been wonderful to chat with you today. Thank you so much for joining me.
0: Thanks, Dan. I hope people or someone gets something out of this. Um, I've certainly got a lot from it. Thank you.
1: You've been listening to Compassion, Courage, Consolation, Voices for St Vincent's During COVID-19. This podcast series has been developed by St. Vincent's Health Australia. For more information about St. Vincent's, visit www.svha.org.au. The music for this podcast comes from Kevin MacLeod. His track, Bittersweet, let us in, and you can hear his track, Touching Moments 1, now. Kevin's website is incompetech.filmmusic.io. And the music is brought to you under the Creative Commons 4.0 license. All of this information and more is provided in the text accompanying this podcast. Thanks for listening.